Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Greg. He's Dan. And he's a Cam. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time we continued Chapter 21, Turand was welcomed into Nargothrond and gained renown and influence. Oradreth received a warning from Ulmo, but in pride, Turand did not heed it, leading Nargothrond to openly face the forces of Morgoth. Glaurung and Morgoth's hosts killed Oradreth and Gwyndor and sacked Nargothrond. Glaurung sent Turin on a fool's errand to rescue his mother and sister. Today we continue chapter 21, beginning on page 215 of the second edition. At last, worn by haste and the long road, for 40 leagues and more had he journeyed without rest. He came with the first ice of winter to the pools of Evren where before he had been healed. But they were now but a frozen mire, and he could drink there no more. Thus he came hardly by the passes of Dorloman, through bitter snows from the north, and found again the land of his childhood. Bare and bleak it was, and Morwen was gone. Her house stood empty, broken and cold and no living thing dwelt nigh. Therefore, Turin departed and came to the house of Broda the Easterling, he that had to, to wife Erin, Hurin's kinswoman. And there he learned of an old servant that Morwen was long gone, for she had fled with Neonor out of Dordalomen, none but Erin knew where. Then Turian strode to Broda's table, and seizing him, he drew his sword and demanded that he be told whither Morwen had gone. And Eirin declared to him that she went to Doriath to seek her son. For the lands were freed then from evil, she said, by the black sword of the south, who now has fallen, they say. Then Turian's eyes were opened and the last threads of Glaurung's spells were loosed, and for anguish and wrath at the lies that had deluded him, and hatred of the oppressors of Morwen, a black rage seized him, and he slew Broda in his hall, and other Easterlings that were his guests. Thereafter he fled out into the winter, a hunted man, but he was aided by some that remained of Hedor's people and knew the ways of the wild, and with them he escaped through the falling snow and came to an outlaw's refuge in the southern mountains of Dorloman. Thence Turin passed again from the land of his childhood and returned to Sirion's Vale. His heart was bitter, for to Dorloman he had brought only greater woe upon the remnant of his people, and they were glad of his going. And this comfort alone he had, that by the prowess of the black sword, the ways to Doriath had been laid open to Morwen. And he said in his thought, then those deeds wrought not evil to all, and where else might I have better bestowed my kin, even had I come sooner? For if the girdle of Melian be broken, 
then last hope is ended. Nay, it is better indeed as things be, for a shadow I cast wheresoever I come. Let Melian keep them, and I will leave them in peace, unshadowed for a while. Now Turin, coming down from Erdard Wethrin, sought for Findulas, in vain roaming the woods beneath the mountains, wild and wary as a beast, and he waylaid all the roads that went north to the pass of Sirion. But he was too late, for all the trails had grown old or were washed away by the winter. Yet thus it was that passing southwards down Taiglin, Turin came upon some of the men of Bodethil that were surrounded by orcs, and he delivered them, for the orcs fled from Girthung. He named himself Wild Men of the Woods, and they besought him to come and dwell with them. But he said that he had an errand yet unachieved to seek Finduilas, Ordress daughter of Nargathond. Then Dorlas, the leader of those woodmen, told the grievous tidings of her death. For the men of Brethil had waylaid at the crossings of Tiglin, the orc host that led the captives of Nargothrond, hoping to rescue them. But the orcs had at once cruelly slain the prisoners, and Fenduilus they pinned to a tree with a spear. So she died, saying at the last, Tell the Mormegil that Finduilas is here. Therefore, they had laid her in a mound near that place and named it Hald el Eleth, the mound of the elf maid. Turin bade them lead him thither, and there he fell down into a darkness of grief that was near death. Then Dorlas, by his black sword, the fame whereof had come even into the deeps of Brethil, and by his quest of the king's daughter, knew that this wild man was indeed the Mormigil of Nargothrond, whom rumor said was the son of Hurin of Dorlomen. Therefore the woodmen lifted him up and bore him away to their homes. Now those were set in a stockade upon a high place in the forest, Ethel Brandir upon Amon Obel. For the people of Haleth were now dwindled by war, and Brandir, son of Handir, who ruled them, was a man of gentle mood, and lame also from childhood, and he trusted rather in secrecy than in deeds of war to save them from the power of the north. Therefore he feared the tidings that Dorlas brought, and when he beheld the face of Turin, as he lay on the bier, a cloud of foreboding lay on his heart. Nonetheless, being moved by his woe, he took him into his own house and tended him, for he had skill in healing. And with the beginning of spring, Turin cast off his darkness and grew hale again. And he arose, and he thought that he would remain in Brethil hidden, and put his shadow behind him, forsaking the past. He took, he took therefore, a new name, Turumbar, which in the high elven speech signified 
master of doom. And he besought the woodman to forget that he was a stranger among them or ever bore any other name. Nonetheless, he would not wholly leave deeds of war, for he could not endure that the orc should come to the crossings of Tiglin or draw nigh to Hav and Eleth. And he made that a place of dread for them, so that they shunned it. But he laid his black sword by, and wielded rather the bow and the spear. Now, new tidings came to Doriath concerning Nagathrond, for some that had escaped from the defeat and the sack, and had survived the fell winter in the wild, came at last to Thingol, seeking refuge. And the march wardens brought them to the king, and some said that all the enemy had withdrawn northwards, and others that Glaurung abode still in the halls of Felagund. And some said that Mormigil was slain, and others that he was cast under a spell by the dragon, and dwelt there yet as one changed to stone. But all declared that it was known to many in Nargothrond, ere the end, that the Mormigil was none other than Turin, son of Hurin of Dorlomin. Then Morwen was distraught, and refusing the counsel of Melian, she rode forth alone into the wild to seek her son, or some true tidings of him. Thingol, therefore, sent Mablung after her, with many hardy marchwords, to find her and guard her, and to learn what news they might. But Neonor was bidden to remain behind, Yet the fearlessness of her house was hers, and in an evil hour, in hope that Morwen would return when she saw that her daughter would go with her into peril, Neonor disguised herself as one of Thingol's people and went with that ill-fated writing. They came upon Morwen by the banks of Sirion, and Mablung besought her to return to Menegroth, but she was fay, and would not be persuaded. Then also the coming of Neonor was revealed, and despite Morwen's command, she would not go back, and Moblung perforce brought them to the hidden fairies at the mirrors of twilight. And they passed over Sirion, and after three days of journeying, they came to Amun Ethir, the hill of spies, that long ago Felagun had caused to be raised with great labor, a league before the doors of Nargothrond. There Moblung set a guard of riders about Morwen and her daughter, and forbade them to go further. But he, seeing from the hill no sign of any enemy, went down with his scouts to the Narag as stealthily as they could go. But Glaurung was aware of all that they did, and he came forth in heat of wrath and lay into the river, and a vast vapor of foul reek went up, in which Moblung and his company were blinded and lost. Then Glaurung passed east over Narag. Seeing the onset of the dragon, the guards upon Amon Ethir sought to lead Morwen and Nianor away and fly with them, 
with all speed back eastwards. But the wind bore the blink mists upon them, and their horses were maddened by the dragon stench, and were ungovernable, and ran this way and that, so that some were dashed against trees and were slain, and others were borne far away. Thus the ladies were lost, and of Morwen, indeed, no sure tidings came ever to Doriath after. But Neonor, being thrown by her steed, yet unhurt, made her way back to Amun Ethir, there to await Mablung, and came thus above the reek into the sunlight, and looking westward, she stared straight into the eyes of Glaurung, whose head lay upon the hilltop. Her will strove with him for a while, but he put forth his power, and having learned who she was, he constrained her to gaze into his eyes, and he laid a spell of utter darkness and forgetfulness upon her, so that she could remember nothing that had ever befallen her, nor her own name, nor the name of any other thing, and for many days she could hear, neither hear nor see nor stir by her own will. Then Glaurung left her standing alone upon Amun Ethir and went back to Nargothrond. Now Mablung, who greatly daring had explored the halls of Felugand when Glaurung left them, fled from them at the approach of the dragon and returned to Amun Ethir. The sun sank and night fell as he climbed the hill, and he found none there save Neonor, standing alone under the stars as an image of stone. No word she spoke or heard, but would follow if took upon took up her hand. If he took up her hand. Therefore, in great grief, he led her away, though it seemed to him vain, for they were both like to perish, succorless in the wild. But they were found by three of Mobling's companions, and slowly they journeyed northward and eastward towards the fences of the land of Doriath beyond Sirion, and the guarded bridge nigh to the inflowing of Esgalduin. Slowly the strength of Neonor returned as they drew nearer to Doriath, but still she could not speak or hear, and walked blindly as she was led. But even as they drew near the fences, at last she closed her staring eyes and would sleep. And they laid her down and rested also, unheedfully, for they were utterly outworn. There they were assailed by an orc band, such as now roamed often, as nigh the fences of Doriath as they dared. But Neonor, in that hour, recovered, hearing and sight, and being awakened by the cries of the orcs, she sprang up in terror and fled ere they could come to her. Then the orcs gave chase, and the elves after, and they overtook the orcs and slew them ere they could harm her. But Neonor escaped them, for she fled as in a madness of fear, swifter than a deer, and tore off all her clothing as she ran until she was naked, and she passed out of their sight running northward, and though they sought her, 
Long they found, and though they sought her long, they found her not, nor any trace of her. And at last, Moblung in despair returned to Menegroth and told the tidings. Then Thingol and Melian were filled with grief. But Moblung went forth and sought long in vain for tidings of Morwen and Nienor. But Nienor ran on into the woods until she was spent and then fell and slept and awoke. And it was a sunlit morning, and she rejoiced in light as it were a new thing. And all things else that she saw seemed new and strange, for she had no names for them. Nothing did she remember, save a darkness that lay behind her, and a shadow of fear. Therefore she went warily as a hunted beast, and became famished, for she had no food, and knew not how to seek it. But coming at last to the crossings of Tiglin, she passed over, seeking the shelter of the great trees of Brethil, for she was afraid. And it seemed to her that the darkness was overtaking her again, from which she had fled. But it was a great storm of thunder that came up from the south, and in terror she cast herself down upon the mound of Hav and Eleth, stopping her ears from the thunder. But the rain smote her and drenched her, and she lay like a wild beast that is dying. There Turambar found her, as he came to the crossings of Tiglin having heard rumors of orcs that roamed near, and seeing in a flare of lightning the body, as it seemed, of a slain maiden lying upon the mound of Finduilas, he was stricken to the heart. But the woodman lifted her up, and Turambar cast his cloak about her, and they took her to a lodge nearby and warmed her and gave her food, and as, she, and as soon as she looked upon Turambar, she was comforted, for it seemed to her that she had found at last something that she had sought in her darkness, and she would not be parted from him. But when he asked her concerning her name, and her kin, and her misadventure, then she became troubled as a child that perceives that something is demanded, but cannot understand what it may be. And she wept. Therefore Turambar said, Do not be troubled. The tale shall wait. But I will give you a name, and I will call you Niniel, Tear Maiden. And at their name she shook her head, but said, Niniel. That was the first word she spoke after her darkness and it remained her name among the woodmen ever after. In summary, Turin returns to his home in Dorlomen, but finds that his mother and sister are gone. Realizing he has been deceived by Glaurung, and in a fit of blind rage, <coughs> he kills Broda and the Easterlings. 
He returns to the wilderness and seeks Finduilas. But men of Brethel tell him that she has been killed by the orcs. Brandir, leader of the people of Halith, heals Turin, and he takes the name Turambar, meaning Master of Doom. News of the fall of Nargathon reaches Doriath. Morwen rides into the wilderness, seeking Turin, but Moblung and his men follow to protect her and bring her back. Neonor clandestinely joins them. Glaurung ambushes Mablug's men. Morwen is lost, and Neonor runs straight into Glaurung, who casts a spell on her, making her forget who she is. Mablung finds her and takes her back to Doriath, but in madness she flees northward. Turin Turambar finds her, but she cannot recall her identity. He names her Nino, Tear Maiden. Finds her, but finds her where? Um, I knew, I was good. I thought you might ask about that. He finds her at the grave of Finduilas. Yes, yes. that's true. So that's why Finduilas is Bindi. important. Because um, her grave? Because the site of her grave? Well, yeah, yeah. Remember that when he flees um, uh, Glaurung and is, is on his quest to find the people that he's left behind, he, he's going straight for Finduila. So he's like fixated upon finding her. Mm. Um, and then he, then she, I mean, she dies and is on this mound. And then he finds her there. And of course, he finds her by the strike of lightning, which was also when he found that he had stabbed Beleg as well by a strike of lightning that revealed to him oh, that's cool. this doom. So now we have another strike of lightning that's revealing something else, I but think, he doesn't quite know what. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'd like to return to the part where Turin massacres the sand people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does kind of. Just, I mean, poor Broda. And Broda sounds like a nice guy. Man. Yeah, he sounds like a nice guy. Like, yeah. sure, he's an he's Easterling and a friend Broda. of Morgoth. But did he deserve to die? I don't know. Birken. Yeah. A black rage seized him. It says. So this this calls back to earlier in Turin's life. Their land was invaded by the Easterlings, right? Isn't that right? Brada is one of them. I believe that's the case. Yeah. Here's my here's my question. I was looking at the map. Dorloman is neither east nor south. It is in fact north and west on the map. So when they were invaded, like where are these guys coming from? Were they originally in the north? Well, I, I think I, I might be remembering this wrong, but the Morgoth brought Easterlings in, like he brought other men in. Oh yeah, to this the area in the for that last that fifth battle. That's a good point. And remember, there was some of them that remained loyal to Morgoth, but there were others who like changed their loyalty to uh, like the men and the elves. Yeah. So I think there were many Easterlings who ended up 
like fighting against Morgoth, and there were some that were in that land too. In Dorloman. Cool. Thank you. So I this is something we talked about last episode, but how Glaurung his uh his deceit leads to this even greater despair and, and disaster for Turin. And I think that's something we see here where Turin recognizes after he's slain the Easterlings. This is the bottom of 215. It says, His heart was bitter. For two Dorloman, he had brought only greater woe upon the remnant of his people, and they were glad of his going. And that's kind of the story of his life, isn't it? Everywhere he goes, he brings destruction and woe. Is it in this chapter or the, the previous one? Uh, sorry, this episode or the previous one where he he kind of admits... No, it's this one, isn't it? He admits that, right? In, well, in his despair. He's one of those people that keeps giving himself new names. Yeah, there's lots of... I, I did actually want us to recount his names. Mormagil, the Black Sword... Yeah. Uh, what 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 was Turumba? That's yeah, there's, there's a few of them. But um, so the darkness, because at one point it looks like he's basically gonna die. Um. So, at the the midpoint of two sixteen, Turin bade them lead him thither. So he goes to, he goes to the mound where Vinduilas is dead. Mm-hmm. And he fell down into a darkness of grief that was near death. Wow. So then somebody, one, one of the people, pick him up and, and, look, and, and look after him um, and sort of bring him, nurse but, him back to health. But um, he, he, I think he says, I'm just trying to find where it's, he, he goes into just like a really melancholic state. I think it's it was it's part of Glauron. Glauron's spell because Glauron kind of mocks him about his mother and his sister and then tells him that he gives no cr- like heed to the cries of the elf woman and you're going to sort of deny the bond of your blood so he's just kind of riddled with um, guilt and as he runs away it says later on that it seemed to him as he went that he heard the cries of Finduilas calling his name by wood and hill. So that means like as he's going, he's like in this paranoid state of just hearing her calling out, help me, help me. So he's in he's he's now obsessed with the idea like I've gotta I've gotta like make good on this saving someone or something. I've gotta find someone or something. Mm. And then he comes across the death. Of course, this is just like too much for him to bear. Um, especially after killing um, Broda and finding out that his mother and sister weren't there and who knows where they are like it was, is this all a lie is, is, is everyone in my life dead so this is the last straw this is the thing that just like destroys him so it's not love per se it's more it's, insecurity it's spell. yeah insecurity hmm. he's not the hero anymore He's not the great warrior. That's why Turumbar means master of doom. <laughs> yeah. Someone just, no one does doom better than me. <laughs> Everyone says it. I think Mondas would like to have a word with him about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's the doom daddy. 
sounds really weird. One other one other thing that I think is worth noting is that Neonor is also one of the children of Hurin. And yeah. so this kind of doom that's upon them is upon her too. And it's inter- it's it's like, like she's like even more innocent than Turin. She hasn't yeah. done anything that we've heard of. She just was in Dorloman and then she fled to Doriath. And then when she hears about Turin, she follows this band of people looking for him and runs straight into the eyes of Glaurung, of all things. Like, she's just doing her thing. There's attacks, there's danger, and she just stumbles right into Glaurung, who puts this spell on her where she forgets her, her identity and her past. Not but- a good situation. Runs right into Glaurung, and we get we get another awesome display of Glaurung's power. Like, it's not just one trick that he can do, like, I'll right. freeze you and then tell you lies that you'll believe. Right. But now it's like, I can cast a spell of utter, or lay a spell of utter darkness and forgetfulness on them, like, give them amnesia, which is... Like, dragons in Tolkien's worlds are... I mean, is there a greater boss than the dragons, apart from Morgoth himself? Like... Is it better to fight a dragon or well, maybe Gothrog, Lord of Balrogs? I don't know. Yeah. Who would win in a fight, Gothmog or Glaurung? Yeah. Well, um, who's the who's the other dragon in the Hobbit? Smaug. Smaug. So Glaurung isn't even the final form, because Smaug can fly. Glaurung is. Oh, wait, Glaurung like can't fly. I, I know we've talked. So. I thought. I know we've we've talked about that. But was it conclusive that he can't fly? I think he doesn't have wings. Yeah, I think you're right. Golden sure. father of dragons. Hmm. Uh, it says he issued forth. I. He, I, I got. Yeah, he couldn't it. fly. According to Tolkien Gateway, he doesn't have wings. Really? So you picture him like just a giant. Well, well, like a dragon without wings. Lizard. So when he issues forth, he just... Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, prowling yeah. along. Crazy. What's, when we read last episode about Turin coming to the battle on his horse, tall and terrible, it said Turin was, he's facing down Glaurung like face to face, like yeah. racing at him. And no one else would do it but Turin. So that that get, that makes that image clearer in my head that Glaurung doesn't have wings, so he's just racing towards Turin. So yeah, it's um Turin uh Glaurung probably isn't as strong as Smaug. And I don't it know who's more stronger. magic, I'm guessing. Yeah. Is because we, we I don't, don't really know see Smaug a display does, of Smaug's magic beyond some forms of trickery with words where you see he's like twisting words and he's deceptive. Hmm. Yeah, maybe Glaurung is stronger. I don't know. I have one other question about um, Neonor and her encounter with Glaurung. I think, so Dan and I were talking um, in our little bonus episode about the comparisons of the story of Turin Turambar with Macbeth and... Um, it's a it's Titanic. a Finnish Finnish story. I'm oh yeah, the name. 
Um, uh, it begins with an H, right? Is it no, I think it begins with a K. Oh, yeah, that's it. Kalevala. Kalevala? So it's interesting. I'm, maybe I don't remember Macbeth well enough because I'm, I'm uh, an I haven't read Macbeth. Twine, but <clears throat> I've read McBaron and Luthien, though. Mm, that's a good one, too. Um, so in Macbeth, if I remember correctly, um, it's it's the, at the beginning. There's those witches that give the prophecy, right? And and it's one of those like stories that's common. It's one of those. It's maybe I don't think Shakespeare invented this, but the idea being when when there's any kind of foreknowledge given to someone, the pursuit of that usually has like some twists and turns and some misfortune tied to it, you know, and it's like the pursuit of, of fulfilling that in turn leads to like, or, or, um, you know, there's that trope in, in some like fantasy stories where, um, someone is given the, the foresight of their downfall and it's in their protecting themselves from it, that they actually find themselves unwittingly, like moving closer towards it or, or falling into it, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that appears a lot. And, and, but in that there's like, um, there's this agency in it and it's kind of like, um, well, you can't really escape this. Even your, every action you take leads you further down this path. And even the, when it seems like things are going well for you, you still have this curse upon you. I think that's what we're seeing with the children of, of Furin. Like everything they do seems to, because even in this case yeah. with, with Neonor, she's going to search for her brother yeah. and it just leads to a curse being put on her, you know? Well, I mean, two, two thoughts about that. One, one is that in, in Tolkien's world, it's not always a curse because we have the gift of Galadriel to the fellowship where she kind of, you know, hears their confession and, um, reads their hearts. He, she reads their hearts and she gives like Sam, like an image of the Shire, like burning and whatnot. Um, and they're things that haven't sort of come to pass. So there is some, like, there isn't like comp- it's not like agency's taken away or like it's something that you need to fight to prevent from happening, but it is something they, they know is going to play out somehow. But then in the case of the children of Hurin, like for, for Hurin's sake, he was given, he was shown the fate of his children. Um, he was given a glimpse into the curse. Um, now, I mean, this is this is how Shippy mentions it. He says, um, "All this is seen furthermore by Hurin, given the gift of vision by Morgoth, and his Im- and so all of this is basically the, um, the the horrible things that we're reading about right now." He, Hurin was given this vision by Morgoth um, and his embitterment once released plays a part in the later 
latter dis- later destructions of both Doriath and Gondolin. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's clear example of they have this curse and they lean into it and it and they make it worse by trying to I don't know break it. Is that mm. what they're trying to do? Do you do you get the sense they're trying to break a curse upon them? I don't I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily think so. I think they're just trying to do something. You know, they're just, they're just trying to get along and uh, they just keep running into it. They, it's inescapable for them. What are your thoughts, Cameron? Yeah, this is kind of over my head, but I think Gothmog would win in a fight against Glaurung. <laughs> because Tolkien refers yeah. to Gothmog as the son of Morgoth. I don't know if you knew that. But, I mean, the son of Morgoth, I mean, like, Benedict, my and son, is not going to beat Greg, you know? Even though... The other thing is, Gothmog and Glaurung both meet their demise, and Gothmog's is more impressive. That's all I'll say about it. So I think okay. Gothmog wins. All right. Okay. I think what we're seeing, what we're reading, is a, like a certain sense of narrative irony where we know things, but the characters don't know them. So, yeah. and actually, that comes to a head in this story, in this reading, where we know that Neonor is actually. That we know her identity, but she doesn't yeah. know her identity, and Turin doesn't either. We know that. Yeah. Well, okay. Why doesn't Turin know? Help me understand this. Was he well, younger? He was when very he... young. Yeah, she was. I think his mother was still pregnant with her. Okay, that was it. Left. Okay, that's the gap. Yeah. He, has a, he thought... has a different sister, but she died. He he did have a different sister, but yeah. she died as a little girl. Yes. I thought they grew up together. Yeah. So he had his his sister Laughter, who he loved, which is yeah. funny that he calls. Yeah, tear maiden, maiden, which yeah. is like good point. The opposite, but um, the I thought they grew up together, and then he went off and um, did did it had his like rebellious years. Yeah, it's um, good to clarify that. So that's why he doesn't recognize Niniel. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's also sort of spellbound by his own like um, what did you call it, Cameron? His fear was it his driven by fear or insecurity insecurity and she is literally spellbound by glaurung so she can't say oh by the way um i'm who i am like i'm not niniel i'm i do want to give a shout out to morwen if this is the last we hear of her that's really Mm. sad Yeah. yeah she is told to stay behind um by melian but she rides forth to seek out Turin, her son, and it does, and then she's lost. That's yeah. so sad. It's yeah. sad. Yeah, you know how I describe it's this such, story, yeah. Turin Turinbar, so far. It's kind of, it's like, it's like rain on your wedding day. Yeah. It's a free ride when you've already paid. Yeah. It's a good advice <laughs> that you just didn't take, and who would have thought? Are you it, singing right now? Isn't I can't it tell. ironic? Because it, it looks like you're just saying words. Yeah. <laughs> Are you singing a song, Greg? Uh, I might be <laughs> quoting a song. Okay, so, but the, uh, anyway. <laughs> wait, wait, last thing, last thing on Morwen. If we don't hear from her, um, maybe we can have a discussion in the future about 
um, her like her role in the events that are starting to unfold. And in honor of her, I will call myself Cam Moore when. Mm. Okay. Next and I'll call episode. myself Finn Danilas. <laughs> this is terrible. All right. Well, life has a funny way of sneaking up on you. Yeah. And life has a funny way of helping you out. If you like That's what you hear, go ahead and rate us three Silmarils out of three. Follow us everywhere before the fellowship. Join the discussion on Discord. Okay, you have a book to give away. You have a book to give away. And send any comments or questions to before the fellowship at gmail.com. You have a book to give away. I do have a book to give away. So, but we haven't decided what to do with it. Okay, we'll we'll announce it in Discord. Okay, we'll announce in the Discord how you can win a book with the dedication from the Silmarillion for the fellowship crew. So join us next week as we read and react to the greatest story. That you have now heard four fifths of the Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. That sound is the somber strumming of Dr. Iver. And that means you're listening to Before the Fellowship. I'm your host, Greg Montana. Greg Montana. And I'm Dan. Joined as always by Dan Driver and Cameron O'Hearn. And Greg Montana. <laughs> 